Hello, church. Today we're picking up our sermon series through the book of 1 Timothy called God's Household. And we're going to spend the next few months finishing up this book. Since this book. So today, the sermon is from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1 through 16, and it's titled, Caring for Those in Need. What memories do you think about when you hear the word family? Maybe it brings up some strong positive feelings, sweet memories with parents or siblings growing up, being protected and provided for, memorable events or traditions that you had together. But I would guess that for most of us, it probably brings up strong negative feelings as well. Traumatic experiences with parents and siblings growing up, not being protected or provided for, or excruciating events or traditions that you had as a family. Well, how does the gospel of Jesus Christ form or reform our idea of family? How can Jesus restore our family lives and create new ties in our relationships with family? Today I'm going to explain how 1 Timothy 5, 1-16 answers those questions. I'll also be talking about how the gospel restores family relationships and influences by the, the way we care for our biological families in times of need, but as well... I'm going to share how the gospel creates another family, a spiritual one, and influences the way that we care for one another in times of need in the church. It's been a little while since we have been in 1 Timothy, so let me recap real quick. Paul wrote this letter to his disciple Timothy so that the church in Ephesus, where Timothy was pastoring could know the truth of the gospel and biblical doctrine and so that they could know how to live in godliness as God's household or as a local church. He addressed specific false teachings and the people who were promoting these false teachings. He also gave instructions to various groups of people, uh, which he's doing right here in our text for today, specifically how the church was to help widows in times of need, or widows in the church. So, let's get into God's Word. 1 Timothy 5, 1-16 through 16. Do not rebuke an older man, but encourage him as you would a father, younger men as brothers, older women as mothers, younger women as sisters, in all purity. Honor widows who are truly widows. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household and to make some return to their parents. For this is pleasing in the sight of God. She who is truly a widow, left all alone, has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. Command these things as well so that they may be without reproach. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives, and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. Let a widow be enrolled if she is not less than 60 years of age, having been the wife of one husband and having a reputation for good works. If she has brought up children, has shown hospitality, has washed the feet of the saints, has cared for the afflicted, and has devoted herself to every good work, but refuse to enroll younger widows, for when their passions draw them away from Christ, they desire, they desire to marry and so incur condemnation for having abandoned their former faith. Besides that, they learn to be idlers, going from house to house, and not only idlers, but also gossips and busybodies, saying what they should not. So I would have younger widows marry, bear children, 
manage their households, and give the adversary no occasion for slander. For some have already strayed after Satan. If, an, if any believing woman has relatives who are widows, let her care for them. Let the church not be burdened, so that it may care for those who are truly widows. Amen. Well, let me share the one thing from 1 Timothy chapter 5, verses 1-16. through 16. This is the main message from God to us through this passage of Scripture. Care for one another well in our homes and in God's household. There are three parts to this sermon. They are three principles of the church's identity and responsibilities presented in 1 Timothy 5, 1 through 16. First, the church is a way God redeems our ideas of family. Second, the church ministers to their own families in times of need. And third, the church ministers to each other in times of need. Let's pause and pray before we, before we dive in. Heavenly Father, you said through the prophet that your words do not return empty, but they accomplish what you desire and achieve your purposes. So at this time in the preaching of your word, we trust this promise. May my words actually be your words that accomplish what you desire and achieve your purpose in us today. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's go ahead and take a look at the first of the three main principles from today's, for today's sermon. The church is a way God redeems our ideas of family. Let's try to understand how verses 1 and 2 teach us that the church is a way that God redeems our ideas of family. Here, specifically, Paul instructed Timothy to relate to others in the church as he would um, with his own family members. It appeared that Timothy had a really challenging role in Ephesus at, at the local church that he was called to pastor. Check it out. Paul had, or Timothy had to confront false teachers that had abandoned their faith and who were also leading others to abandon their faith. He had to look for qualified elders and deacons to lead the church with him. As well, he, he was younger, and so he was younger than many in the church, so he had to earn their respect by being a strong example and by executing his calling to preach and teach God's word. So you could probably imagine that there were also a lot of tensions, relational tensions between Timothy and the others in the church. Paul gave him some guiding principles about how to relate with fellow church members like this. And the word rebuke in verse 1 means to harshly disapprove of someone. So this specific Greek word is used only here in the entire New Testament. And it's more of a, a bad rebuke. And there are many other times uh, in the New Testament where other words for rebuke are used. And these usually refer to a good rebuke. Like it's truly done out of love for the other person. The difference would be like if I perhaps snapped really harshly at my kids because I was just in a really bad mood, bad rebuke, compared to if I corrected them firmly and calmly as a way to discipline them out of love, which would be good rebuke. So instead of rebu rebuking this bad way, Timothy should encourage older men and younger men and older women and younger women in the church. 
Timothy's overarching goal was to, was to build them up and to support these other men and women in the church towards solid faith in Christ and towards lives of godliness. What we need to know is that this local church in Ephesus was not just like a spiritual family, they were actually spiritual family. Timothy was to treat his, his church members like family members because they were spiritual family members. He was to treat older men, uh, older men in the church like fathers and older women in the church like mothers. That means sensitively but wisely because he still had to exert spiritual authority sometimes. He was to treat younger men like brothers and younger women like sisters with the concern and love of an older brother. And Paul added on the specific instruction of interacting with younger women without any inappropriate feelings or gestures. In, as he, in his own words, in all purity. But if you're like me, you might be thinking, but my family is pretty messed up. You know, I didn't have a very good example of how a husband and wife were supposed to treat each other. I didn't have a very good example of, about how a parent and child were supposed to treat each other. I didn't have a very good example of how brothers and sisters were supposed to be brothers and sisters with one another. How am I supposed to know how to do that now, either in the home or at church as a disciple of Jesus Christ? Well, we can take heart. We can take heart because God does not leave us without guidance. If you believe that Jesus is your Savior and King, then the Scriptures say that we are children of God and we are led by the Holy Spirit Himself. Romans chapter 8, verses 14 and 15 say this, For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The Spirit you have received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the Spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by Him we cry, Abba, Father. In light of this truth, we can indeed say this. So even though my family is so broken and dysfunctional, I don't need to be afraid. The Holy Spirit assures me that I have a heavenly Father who is perfect, perfect in love, and perfectly guides me. In Christ, I am redeemed, and I can experience change in how I deal with people, how I deal with my new spiritual family, and how I deal with my old biological family. His, re His Word reveals God's heart. His Spirit guides me in how to do this. The main principle here in verses 1 and 2 is that the church is a way God redeems our ideas of family. Now we have a spiritual family that we can build up and care for as our spiritual brothers and sisters in Christ. We have the wonderful opportunity to build up, uh, to build relationships with many older men and older women, relating to them now as spiritual parents by drawing from their perspectives on life, family, relationships, career, faith, God, learning solid spiritual habits from them to grow, our, to grow more intimate with God ourselves, to listen to their life experiences and learn from them. We also have the wonderful opportunity to build relationships with many younger men and women in our church. 
relating with them as brothers and sisters in Christ, by developing healthy friendships now, by appreciating people who are different than us, by resolving conflicts in a biblical way, even when it's messy. This is what family does. You know, as we learn how to do this as a spiritual family, it actually is training for how to also do it in our biological families. When I was in university, God really started to grow my heart. He grew my, a, a love to serve people in the church. But it was such a struggle when I went home for holidays. But I was so strongly challenged to now try to serve my own dad and mom and, and sister in the same way I serve people in the church. So even when I wanted to go out with friends, I chose at times to fix stuff with my sister at her new apartment or to clean up around the house, do, do things around the house with my parents. Also at that time of my life, I got to know a pastor from our church who was so intentional about teaching his children, about discipling them. And he had a lot of children, like eight. He, he discipled them to know and follow the Lord. And really those were the building blocks in my own paradigms for my own paradigm for marriage and parenting. I try to live those out today. I experienced this church, this truth firsthand that the church is the way God redeems our ideas of family. God is still doing this in my life now, and God wants to do this in all of us. Now let's this is a nice transition to the second main principle from this passage of scripture. The church ministers to their own families in times of need. I'd like for us to see how verses 5 through 8 teach us that the church ministers to their own families in times of need. Here specifically, Paul instructed Timothy and the church in Ephesus to make sure that they took care of the widows that they had within their own biological families. So Paul actually started out by saying, honor widows who are truly widows. The specific word honor here meant to show respect to someone and usually doing so by providing some financial aid as well. And Paul wanted the church to take care of those widows who were truly in need. That's what we'll cover in the third main point. Because widows were so numerous in the ancient world and thus also numerous in the first century church. And here, Paul addressed believers who had widows in need in their own biological families to make sure that they were the ones who were properly caring for their family members in times of need. In Roman society in the first century, there was, there was no formal welfare system for people in need, like widows. If a woman's husband died and still had the dowry, that, that, the dowry is the monetary gift from the wife's parents to the husband, then that widow would be able to stay financially afloat. In the unfortunate case uh, that the dowry was already used, the widow would find herself in a very tough situation. And in these cases, widows were supposed to be taken care of by their children, grandchildren, or extended families. Here in verses 3 through 8, Paul reinforced this responsibility that believers had. To state it Paul's way specifically from verse 4. But if a widow has children or grandchildren, let them first learn to show godliness to their own household. Whoa, 
hold, hold on for a second. So Paul said that believers were to learn godliness. They were to train themselves to synchronize their faith in the gospel and in the teachings of the Bible with their own lives. And one of the primary realms of life that they were to do this was in their families. They were to care for the people in their families who were experiencing seasons of need, namely widows, as an expression of their faith in the gospel and sound doctrine. Now let me pause and mention this important note for us all. For those of us who are caring for family members in need right now, or, or have devoted a significant time of, uh, amount of time and money and energy uh, to do so in the past, let me just say that your ministry to them is important. Your ministry to them is so important, and it, it matters to God, and it, it pleases God. It is an expression of your faith that when the rubber meets the road, your faith is tested to be real, by the ways that you minister to your family members, the ways that you have been ministering to your family members or have ministered to your family members in the past, may you be encouraged that God is pleased so much with you and may you be strengthened to know that God will certainly be at work in your ministry to your family members. Paul says it in verse 4 in, in a way that sounds a lot like Asian culture today, that children and grandchildren were to make some return to their parents. They were to give back the loving care that their parents gave to them in raising them throughout childhood. Evaluating the financial investment in, in raising children sounds kind of impersonal, but it's actually helpful to think about. The United States Department of Agriculture reported that in the U.S. it costs about $233,000 U.S. dollars to raise one child from birth to 17 years old as of 2020. That's not including paying for university if if a family chooses to do that too. So as a parent, I can attest to this. It is a huge investment of our money, time, and energy and, and care to raise children. It's awesome, but it's also expensive. But the motivation and the heart now behind a child or grandchild to take care of their parents or grandparents or other family members in times of need must be viewed through the lens of the gospel as well. This is what Paul does. Look at verse 8. But if anyone does not provide for his relatives and especially for members of his household, he has denied the faith and is worse than an unbeliever. There is a connection between caring for older or in-need family members and one's faith in Jesus. Just think about this for a second. How how does your mother show show care for you? I, I can share about my mom. My mom showed me care by feeding me at all hours of the day, even if it was late at night. My mom showed me love by working night shifts for years. My mom showed showed us love by taking me to sporting events like baseball games. My mom showed me love by speaking encouraging words to me when I was down. Now, it would be terrible if I said, 
Now, mom, the only reason why I care and love, uh, care about and love my mom is because I have to pay her back. That would be absolutely terrible, wouldn't it? The normal, proper response would be this. I have received this abundant, sacrificial love from my mom, and it is my joy to serve her now. Unfortunately, and more realistically, our experiences with our parents are probably not even close to this ideal. But we can go further. We can actually do the impossible by applying the gospel into our family situations. Something like this. Because of the overflowing love and care of God, my father, I love, I have love to give to my parents, grandparents, or other family members in need. Our family members are not perfect, and we probably did not experience love from our parents even close to perfectly. But the gospel says this, even though my parents' love was not perfect or even good, I can still love and care for my parents because my heavenly Father's love and care is perfect. For all of us, our ministry in our homes is super important. We might find it easier to serve people in church who are generally more civil and who don't have the same baggage with you as your family members do. We might find it easier to serve people at work. There are boundaries that we have at work and people actually value your contributions at work. But let me tell you what the Bible says here. God wants you to serve your families and He gives you the physical and emotional strength and resources to be able to do it in Christ. The Gospel says, even though my own love runs out, I can still love because my Heavenly Father's love never runs out for me and never runs out for anyone else. I have to give a disclaimer, a short disclaimer here, though. I know that there are some people whose situations with their parents are a little bit complicated. Like your family's financial need is because your parents mismanaged uh, their money or they they don't work even though they can. Um, Therefore, there's some discernment that's required on our parts. But besides those cases, the needs that our family members have financial or otherwise, can be opportunities for us to exercise our faith in real life. And this produces real godliness. Now at this time, I'm, I'm, I'm going to shift perspectives a bit. And I'm going to talk about those. I was talking about those ministering to those in need. But for a moment, I'm going to address those who are in need. This is short, but it's going to be important. Uh, In the scriptures, it's very clear that God has a special place in his heart for widows. Just look at this description of God in Psalm chapter 68, verse 5. To the father, father to the fatherless, defender of widows, this is God whose dwelling is holy. The law that the Lord gave to Israel reflected this part of God's character. This is why he forbade the mistreatment of widows and orphans in Exodus 22, verse 22, and specifically commanded the Israelites to leave unpicked grain, olives, and grapes behind for widows and orphans to collect for themselves. This was in Deuteronomy 24, 19 through 21. 
This is, this is all to say that widows, orphans, and all others in need are important to God because this is who God is. Jesus said this in Matthew 5, verse 3, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You see, when we understand our true spiritual state, which is often facilitated through our physical state, that we're, we understand our true spiritual state, that we are poor in spirit, we are desperately in need of help from God, then we are in a prime position to receive the grace of God. We see clearly that we are in no position to save ourselves. We need this divine help. Our Father gives us faith to see that we are, that He has provided this salvation through Christ's sacrifice on the cross. Our sins are now paid for through Jesus' blood. We are made right with God through His crucifixion. And we are adopted into, into His family now. So Paul wrote in our passage today in verses 5 and 6, She who is truly a widow left all alone has set her hope on God and continues in supplications and prayers night and day. But she who is self-indulgent is dead even while she lives. In other words, those widows who do belong to God by faith in Christ can trust that their Heavenly Father will take care of them. The hope that God gives uh, gives her in those times of prayer and supplication and expressions are uh, prayers and supplications are actually expressions of true godliness that's living consistently their faith with the faith that they profess however those widows who respond to their difficult situations in self-indulgent behavior and activities actually show that their faith that faith is absent from their hearts. Friends, we have plenty of people in seasons of need in our church. Recently, unem recently unemployed people, single parents, that is, um, parents who, are, who don't have a husband, and wife to help, has a husband or wife to help them and have to work to raise their children and make a living. Those suffering from debilitating injuries or illnesses, it is not easy at all. But may we find comfort and joy in the truth that our Heavenly Father cares for us. He refines our faith. Actually, He says in Scripture, in 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 7, that the refining of our faith is more precious, is more valuable than gold or anything else in this world. Don't lose sight of the dignity and the value of this in God's eyes. And we can receive then, when we understand that, we can receive all the ways that God cares for us. And sometimes that's going to be through our biological families, and sometimes that's going to be from our spiritual families, but it is always our Heavenly Father who provides for us. Let's move on to the third main principle from today's passage of Scripture. The church ministers to each other in times of need. Finally, let's see how verses 9 through 16 instruct us that the church ministers to each other in times of need. This is the third and final uh, main principle. Shifting back now to people ministering to others in need, we see here that Paul instructed Timothy and the church in Ephesus to take care of widows in their spiritual family, that is, in the church as well. 
Paul's talking about how about making sure that widows who really need help and have no biological family members to support them to still get the help that they need, most notably from the church. That's clear back in verse 3 and then here in verse 16 where he wrote, let the church not be burdened so that they may care for those who are truly widows. In verses 9 and 10, Paul wanted Timothy to prioritize those who were most in need. They were most in need because they didn't have other family to help them, but, they were, but also to look for, make sure that they were deserving of financial support from the church. The qualifications that Paul stated here were that they had to be 60 years or older. They had to be one, whiz, one husband women. In other words, they were, to be, they were to have been faithful to their husbands before their husbands passed away. They had to have a good reputation. They had to be a, a hospitable, a humble servant, cared for others in need, and devoted to doing good. You know, of course, I would imagine that help would also be extended to other widows um, who maybe didn't clearly meet these requirements, and these were simply acts of mercy and acts of kindness. For those older women described like this, however, benevolence was, was most needed, and they wanted to make sure that they, the church reserved their, their financial resources for people like this. Paul said in verse 5 that these types of widows were already mature in faith so that they set their hope on God and continued in supplications and prayers night and day. So in other words, they would be the ones to have faith to see that these acts of benevolence was at, were actually forms of God's love and care for them. Moving on to uh, verses 11 through 13, Paul gave, then gave some instruction regarding how to handle widows who were still young enough to marry. Paul said in verse 11 to refuse to enroll younger widows because of the concern, uh, actually it was happening already in the Ephesian church, that perhaps their strong desire to get married would, would lead them to marrying an unbeliever and thus turn them away from their faith in Christ. You see, just to clarify, in first century Roman culture, which is similar to here in Indonesia, this meant changing your religious identification to be the same as your spouse's. So these younger women, whose faith might have still been shaky, would be tempted to short-circuit God's faith-building process in them by finding their own means to satisfy uh, their needs and wants. Actually, in verse 15, Paul mentioned that there were some widows that used to be part of the Ephesian church that had already strayed, from, uh, strayed after Satan in this way as well. Perhaps if these younger widows were given handouts by the church, they would not have the urgency to seek after God and would also find... Uh, and, and would also not be uh, find, seeing the urgency to find legitimate means of income or solid potential husbands, and would instead be tempted to become idle, as Paul says in verse 13, and, and perhaps just waste their days in gossip and meaningless activities. In this way, we really see the complexity of benevolence cases, especially situations when attempts to help might actually hinder some people from developing their faith. You know, one big yay God testimony of seeing the gospel at work in our church during this pandemic has been the establishment of 
uh, our benevolence fund, helping the members of our church, and not just the benevolence fund, but also informal ways that people have been helping other members who are in need. We know that we've been entrusted with this money to most effectively come alongside people who really need help. One thing we've learned, however, is that it's really, really difficult to discern need and to discern what will best help people, both financially and in their faith development. Um, you know, we're going to inevitably make mistakes, but we want to still do it because it's important for the church to minister to each other in times of need. Let me end with this final thought. May the financial help that the church extends to those in need help their faith in Christ grow stronger. And let me add this. Probably there are more cases of people who may have, may have money but are in need in other ways and are also tempted to stray, from, uh, stray away from Christ. You know, these days there's so much hardship that we are experiencing. It could be issues of mental health. It could be sickness or tragedy that strikes loved ones or even ourselves. It could be struggling with being alone or isolated. It could be actually so many things. And we struggle with it. The common link, whether it's benevolence or other forms of care, is that God uses our ministries to each other. Believers who are together in a local church to show each other that we are loved and cared for by our Heavenly Father. And in light of the truth of the, uh, the, truth of, uh, the truth that our Heavenly Father cares for us, we have made a covenant together as a spiritual family to care for one another. Let's care for one another, therefore. Let's check up on those in the family that we haven't seen in a long while. Let's make time to share a meal or visit someone. Let's write an encouraging message to someone as you're led by the Spirit. Let's persistently pray for and intercede on each other's behalf. Family, we share a Heavenly Father who has blessed us in every way in Christ, His, who has cared for us and overflows in love for us. May we love and care for others with that overflow. Let's wrap up this sermon now with how we're going to apply this scripture in, into our lives. Here are some next steps that we can take in response to 1 Timothy 5, 1-16. And the main message, which is to care for one another well in our homes and in, our, in God's household. First, what are the specific ways that you can minister to your family in need and or fellow church members who are in need right now? Our actions done by faith in God's working in you can lead to, tr to, to true change, uh, to really love people, to really love people that are difficult to care for, but you're called to, to care for. When we step out in faith this way, it opens up conversations. It opens up perspectives to change. It opens up trust and relationships 
And so think about specific ways the Holy Spirit is convicting you to minister to your family members in need or and your fellow church members, brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. Second, think about your attitudes regarding your family and or fellow church members. What does the Holy Spirit need to change in you regarding them? Allow the, allow the Spirit of God to convict you of the attitudes of your heart that need to be confessed and repented of. In Christ, our Father joyfully forgives and heals and restores us. And in light of the truth that we are God's children and have an infinite supply of God's love, we can truly love and minister to others with His love. At this time, we'll transition back to our live Sunday service. We're going to have some time to respond and prepare our hearts for communion today. God bless you.